Well, this week's going to be a big week in our family, so I asked the elders for a Sunday off, which they granted. So uh, where I'm really happy to have Dan Smith here. Uh, come on up, Dan. Dan is from the mothership. Uh, the Berean Fellowship started in the 1920s in North Platte, Nebraska. That was the first church. Dan is an elder at North Platte Berean. She's gonna, he is going to share from, from 1 John. So when the service is over, he's going to stay and eat with us too. Uh, thank Dan for, for coming. And uh, I'll turn it over to Dan. All right. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. So uh, to open with just a question, I'd love us to consider this morning, what does it mean to belong? Uh, Often in our world, it seems like we spend a lot of our time uh, trying to figure out how we can get a sense of belonging, to be part of something that's bigger than ourselves. And and maybe a a parallel question would be, where can we find belonging? Often, you know, families, in the best uh, situations, a family is a great place to belong. It's a place where we're known deeply and cared about for who we really are, that, that, that I individually matter to this group of people. Uh, often, uh, families fail to live up to this standard. Uh, maybe you come from a family like that where you didn't find the belonging in the family that you wanted. Maybe right now you're, you're single and you're looking for a family uh, that you want to belong to. Maybe you can feel that absence. But, but that sense of belonging, I, I want to submit to us something that we crave very deeply inside. And so we want to really explore the idea of belonging. Uh, whether, you know, sometimes you can find it in, in uh, good places or, or in uh, uh, neutral <laughs> places. Um, something like, you know, maybe there's a, a sports team that you belong to or an activity or a club of some kind that you're part of. Maybe that's a sense of where you get this sense of family or this sense of belonging. Um, or in, in, you know, in worse situations, people will turn to negative peer groups uh, to, to find that sense of belonging. We, re- we really crave it deeply. And, and God's Word has some stuff to say to us about what it means to belong, how we can be part of a family. Uh, not necessarily based just on our, um, you know, family, like biological family connections, but, but part of a bigger family. And so that's what we want to look at. Uh, if you would open with me to 1 John chapter 3. It's way down towards the end of the Bible. Uh, if, you, if you back up from Revelation, just a few books in from the very end there. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. <laughs> uh, if you can find 1 John chapter 3. Uh, while you're finding your way there, I do want to thank Matt again for inviting me. And thank you all for having me here. Uh, it's a real privilege just to be able to speak. This is a message that's just really been dear to my heart for a number of years um, I pre- preached sort of a version of this back in 2013. It was actually the first time I preached at North Platte Berean. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, I, I find that n- not much has changed in my heart <laughs> uh, from, from those many years ago, although uh, a bit has changed in the, the study. But um, it just really means a lot to me, uh, this idea that we can belong to God's family. And I hope that you'll uh, appreciate that uh, as we go as well. Uh, a little bit about who I am. We'll play a little bit of a family resemblance game here to start. I wondered if you could guess. You can, it's okay if you just put your guess in your head. You don't have to call it out. But maybe you can guess who this is as a younger person. Now, maybe the dots give it away that it's a little older than I am. I'm only 43. You know, probably, maybe that's somebody before me. I will zoom out. This is my mom. Uh, my mom was... Uh, <laughs> 
She was born in Cuba. She lived there until she was about five. Her family came over as refugees uh, during the, the Fidel Castro takeover situation. So this is her uh, in very young, early years. And you can see the resemblance. Here's one of my uh, crafts that I did as a kid. Uh, so you can kind of see the resemblance between me at a sort of similar age to her. Uh, or you can even, my youngest son, Jesse, uh, we, have, we have three, my wife Liza and I have three kids, Jasmine, Jason, and Jesse. We weren't going to do the all J's thing, but it, it just happened. Um, but Jesse, our youngest, a few years ago, here's a, here's a picture of him when he was younger. You can kind of see that family resemblance, right? Family is a place to belong. We tend to look like each other in certain ways. Or here's a, here's a picture of my wife with her uh, sisters. My wife's the one on the right here, Liza, and then these are her sisters and her mom. Uh, and she also has a dad and two brothers that aren't in the picture, but you can see the family resemblance. In fact, even our daughter Jasmine, she's a, she's a freshman at Hastings College. Jasmine, when, when, she, when people see her who know my wife's family, they'll say, you're a Terry, aren't you? Like there, there's this family resemblance, right? There's, people who belong together tend to sort of look more and more like each other or act more and more like each other. In fact, people talk about this with like husbands and wives who've been married for a long time, right? You really are starting to be the same person. <laughs> um, and so uh, in a family, there's a certain resemblance that we have toward each other. And that's what we want to look at in, in God's family. What, what the apostle John, he was one of Jesus' closest friends. What he wants to talk about is in, in God's family, there's a certain resemblance that we bear towards each other and towards our Father. And so he's going to really dig in on that here in chapter 3. Uh, a little bit of background about this letter. So what had happened uh, in, in the, the book of John here, of 1 John, what, what, what had happened was there was this church family, the, this fellowship of believers, people who trusted in Jesus, and th- they had been living life together, pursuing after Jesus together, and after some time, uh, some people had actually left their group and, in fact, had abandoned the teaching that they had been given at first and had started some new teaching that was different from the teaching they had received. And so now the people who were left in the church, in God's family here, they were confused. What, what just happened? Why did these people leave us? And, and do we have the wrong story or do they have the wrong story? And so John is writing this letter to encourage them, you have the right story. Your faith is genuine. You really are in the family of God. And you can tell because you bear the family resemblance. So that's what we're going to pick up here uh, in chapter 3. We are going to actually back up. I don't know if you can see it on the screen here. We're going to back up a little bit before the the chapter mark. We'll start in in chapter 2, verse 28. Uh, If you don't know, uh, and you you probably do, um, the chapters and verse numbers in the Bible were not originally in the the original manuscripts. Uh, Those were added later for reference to be able to find our place quickly. Like when you were turning this morning, I could say, go to 1 John and find chapter 3. It's an easy way to all get on the same page. But they don't necessarily always correspond perfectly to like the train of thought of the author. So this train of thought, I think, actually starts a little bit better, or you get some of the context if you just back up a little bit to chapter 2. So we'll start in chapter 2, verse 28, um, but let me just pray for the Lord to open our eyes and ears and hearts and minds as we read his word. Um, Father, uh, thanks so much for the privilege of having your word in our language that we can understand and listen and read. Uh, I know there are many people all over the world who don't have your word translated into their language, or they haven't had the gospel message even come to them. Um, and it's a real privilege to have this gift. Thank you for it. I pray that as we listen to your word this morning, that we would listen carefully with hearts and minds open to receive what you want to show us. 
with eyes and ears open and not closed off. Uh, we, we want to be people who can see what you have to say to us and hear what you have to say with us, to us and, and, and understand it and love it. So will you make us people like that here as we open your word? In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, here's John starting in chapter 2, uh, 1 John, starting in chapter 2, verse 28. He says, Now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See what, uh, how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not, yet, not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us. We have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another 
just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is God's word to us. Uh, So, uh, looking at this passage, uh, and think about this idea of family resemblance, the people who belong to God's family in this passage are going to share three common traits that we're going to look at together. Uh, The the first one is going to have to do with entry. How do you get in the family? (laughs) What does it mean to be in God's family? What's what's the common characteristic? What do we all share for the same way we get into the family? Uh, If you would take a look down at verse 23. In verse 23, he said, This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. This is giving us a clue as to the entry into the family, how we get into the family. Now, John in this letter is actually not very clear, really anywhere, about precisely how we get in to the family. Uh, A little farther down in chapter 5, verse 13, he will say to the people who are in the family, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And that's a hint. Uh, We have a hint of it here in verse 23. We have a hint of it here in in 5.13. But it it could kind of sound confusing because what he said in verse 23 was that we believe in the name of the Son and we love one another just as he commanded us. So is is that what we have to do to to get into the family? Is there a belief we have to have but also some works we have to do? Right? That, that's kind of a, an, an unclear thing in this uh, part of the passage. Uh, 5.13, it was a little clearer because he said, these things I have written to you who believe so that you may know you have life. He didn't go on to say anything about any other works. And in fact, in one of John's other writings, the Gospel of John, in uh, chapter 5, verse 29, he said, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. This was Jesus talking. Uh, John also records Jesus as saying, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So we actually have a clear picture if you you broaden out and look at more of John's writings. In fact, if you look across all of the New Testament, in fact, if you look across the whole Bible, you'll see that over and over and over again, the picture is it's faith in God is the entry. The way we get in it, it's really just the first half of that verse 23. The, The entry is the belief in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you can even look, if you look as far back as like Abraham, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul will talk about this in Romans chapter 4. If you care to look later, you could just make yourself a note. Look at Romans chapter 4 and look at how Paul talks about Abraham. Going way, way back, centuries back, uh, it, it's always been about faith, he says. That, that the, the entry is about faith, it's about belief. Now, that, that word belief can be a little bit confusing. Uh, sometimes we think, Belief just means like I know some facts or I believe that those facts are true. Like I believe that Jesus came as a human being, that he was crucified, uh, m- brutally murdered, slaughtered on, on, a, on a Roman cross, right? I can believe that those facts are true, but in a way that it doesn't change me. Uh, they, one of Jesus' other followers, the, the apostle James, he actually says it's possible to know those facts. The demons know those facts, but aren't changed by them. And so belief is something more, this, this belief that gets us entry into the family is something more than just acknowledging some facts, but it, it's a belief that somehow completely reorients our, our mind, reorients our hearts, reorients our being to being uh, uh, something else, something other. So uh, maybe a, f- a few synonyms for belief might be helpful. Uh, another word for believe would be trust. Do I really trust? Am I, am I uh, depending would be another word. Relying would be another word. Am I relying on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ? Am I trusting 
in the name of the Son. Now, even that, that, that phrase, trusting in the name, right? We don't really talk that way in our culture today. What does it mean to trust in someone's name? You think about what does a name do? A name identifies a person, right? It says who you are. It tells about your character. It, it, it tells about your identity. Who is this person? So do we believe in who Jesus is? Are we trusting in who Jesus is. That's how we get into the family. And John says several things uh, in this passage here about, he says, we believe in the name of God's son, his son, Jesus Christ. Every one of those words is important. Uh, We're believing in the identity first as his son. We're believing that Jesus is God's son. To, to, To believe Jesus is God's son is to talk about his divinity, to talk about him as God, equal with God, one with God. If you read in the gospel accounts, when Jesus talks about being the son of God, the people get real offended real fast who don't believe it because they say, you're making yourself equal with God. You can actually even see it in the, um, in the, the trial account at the, at the end of the book of Mark, at, at the end of Mark's gospel. When he talks about the trial of Jesus, he says that Jesus said he was the son of God, and at that moment, the high priest said, that's blasphemy. You make yourself equal with God. So this, this idea of believing in the name, believing the identity of Jesus as God's son is to believe that he is equal with God himself, that he is one with the Father. So that's part of what we are trusting. That's part of what we're banking on. That's part of what we're relying on is Jesus. You must be God himself. Come for us. Uh, he also said there in verse 23, not just that it's his son, but it's his son Jesus Christ. Christ is, is a, the, the Greek word, that goes with the Hebrew word Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. The, the Messiah, was, it, it means an anointed one. There was this promised anointed one, this Messiah, this Christ, that was promised to the Jewish people who would rescue them from, from all of the, the evil that was trying to conquer and oppress and destroy them. And ultimately, we know today, we know that that's sin is really the great enemy, Satan's sin and death are the great enemies that need to be conquered. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the great enemies that need to be conquered. And and Jesus, this promised anointed one, would be God himself come to rescue his people from their sins. In fact, uh, when you read in, in Matthew's gospel, when he's talking about why Joseph and Mary named him Jesus, the, the angel Gabriel told them to name him that because he would save his people from their sins. So it's crucial. To, if we're going to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, we have to believe that he's God himself. He's God's Son. We believe that he's God himself, the Messiah, the Christ, come to rescue his people by dying on the cross, by rising again to new life. The resurrection demonstrates that, that it wasn't his sin he died for. It was, it was our sin he died for. He really could take the full penalty of our sin and brokenness into himself and rescue us from that. So we believe in that, but, but notice too, it's, it's a particular human being that we're believing in. When he said we believe in the name of his son, Jesus, Jesus is a very specific human being that he's referring to here. It's Jesus of Nazareth. He was a human who came, who was born, who was given a human name, Jesus. Uh, there were other people named Jesus throughout the, throughout the Bible even. Uh, the, in the Old Testament, the guy uh, Joshua that's the, essentially the same Hebrew name, Yeshua, uh, same name as Jesus. There's other Jesuses in the, in the New Testament, uh, but this is a specific Jesus. It's, it's Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus who is God's son. He's fully human. He really came as a human being named Jesus, and he's fully God come to rescue us. Do you believe that today? 
If so, John says, welcome to the family. You're in. This is how you know you're in the family. If you want to belong in this family, the entry ticket is clear. It's belief in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. So what about the second half of verse 23? I want to suggest that the second half has to do with evidence that we belong in the family. It's not about entry. It's not about what gets you into the family. What gets you into the family is believing in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ. But the evidence that you believe is the second half of the verse. He says, and love one another just as he commanded us. Because think about it. If you believe Jesus, if you believe that we are broken, that we are sinful, that we needed rescued from our sin, and you believe that he's actually done it, and then he says, hey, here's what I want you to do, what would we say in response? Of course. You say jump, I say how high, right? And I do it quickly. This is not a slow obedience. This is not a grudging obedience. This is a joyful response of a heart that really genuinely believes. When we believe, then that belief will produce certain evidence in our lives. It will produce certain behaviors. And you can write that down. The, the, the evidence that he talks about here in verse 23 is certain behavior patterns. So our behavior is not what gets us into the family, but it's evidence that we can look at in our lives and say, hey, I do belong to this family. I'm in. I'm bearing the family resemblance. I have the trait of belief, and I have the trait of these behavior patterns that reflect God's love. That's what it said in verse 23. Love one another just as he commanded us. Now, these behavior patterns, these were all over this passage. I hope hope you noticed them, that all through this passage, it was talking about these core behavior patterns. Our, 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 Our behavior must match our belief, We're designed to bear the family resemblance. We're designed to look like, to image God himself, to be a picture of him to the world around us. And so we want to show by our behavior what we believe. Uh, Would you just look at a few key spots here? Uh, For instance, look up in verse 28 where we started, chapter 2, verse 28. He said, little children, abide in him. In verse 29, he said, someone who practices righteousness is born of him. You hear that family language? You're born into the family. And when you're born into the family, you stay rooted in him. Abide is to to, to remain, to make your home in. Make our homes in him. And and what that would look like, he said here in verse 29, was it would look like practicing righteousness. Or look all through from, from, skip down to chapter 3, verse 4. From 3, verse 4 all the way down to 3, verse 10, do you see all the times it talks about what our, our behavior looks like? It talks about people who practice sin or practice lawlessness, but then there are those who abide in him and don't sin. Uh, and if you do sin, you haven't seen him or known him, he said in verse 7. He said, uh, uh, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. You begin to see this idea that there's, there's actually a second family that we can be choosing to belong to. There's God's family we can belong to by faith in Jesus Christ, his son. But there's also the devil's family that we can belong to by rejecting Jesus. You you begin to see these two pictures. And and don't get confused. I I know some of those verses, uh, like verse 6, uh, said, no one who abides in him sins, and no one who sins has seen him or knows him. That, that may sound like if I ever commit a sin, right, then I'm, I'm out. God's going to kick me out of the family or something. Um, but you can see, if, if you go back into earlier parts of the letter, uh, like in, in chapter 1, uh, he talked about that if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. So he's not talking about us being perfectly sinless in our everyday experience, but he's talking about patterns, right? You see him use the word practice 
over and over again, right? What's your regular practice of life? Is it your regular practice to walk with God, to bear the family resemblance, to have those behavior patterns that reflect God's love? Is my life marked by a love for God and for people? That's what Jesus said was the greatest commandment, right? Love God with everything that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. So I look at my life and I say, okay, is that what marks my life? Do I have patterns of behavior? Is my regular practice to be a person of love, of generosity, kindness, goodness towards other people? Or is my regular practice to sin, to be twisted in on myself, to be selfish, self-focused, desiring what makes me happy even if that hurts other people? That's how you can tell apart these two families. He says, look at the behavior patterns. And, And as we dig in on these two families... Look at how how ancient these two families are. He talked about these being children of God versus children of the devil. That was in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You're you're beginning to get these hints. Whoa, this is, hang on, this is an ancient story here, which sets you up then for verses 11 and 12. Look again at chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He says, this is the message you've heard from the beginning. He says in 12, we should not be like Cain. It's a very ancient story that he has in mind. These two families, the family of God and the family of the enemy, have been around for for centuries, for millennia. These These families actually go all the way back to the beginning. When he talks about the beginning and Cain, Cain is in Genesis chapter 4. This is an ancient, so he's alluding all the way back to the opening pages of the Bible, saying you've always had this chance. Actually, if you look in the garden, it says that God made human beings. If you can look back at Genesis 1 through 4 and find these, uh, what we'll talk about here. Um, he says that in, in the beginning, he created people to bear his image, male and female, both together, bearing God's image. That, that we were made in his likeness. We were made to reflect him, to picture him, to exercise his good rule over creation. To, to exercise, to, to, to display his character in the way that we lived our lives. And here was, he gave us a simple test of if we would trust him. He set a tree in the middle of the garden. Two, actually. One was a tree of life. It represented trusting him and then living in relationship with him. One was a tree of knowing good and bad, the knowledge of good and evil. And that tree represented taking what we want on our own terms. And he said, look, just trust me. If you take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it will be your death. Just trust me. Why is that our death? Doesn't say. What's wrong with that tree? I don't, is it, does it have some kind of virus? What's in the tree? I no information. Just trust me. And in that moment, we had the opportunity as humanity, as, as Adam and Eve, to choose. Would we trust God? Would we say, yes, I believe that what you say is good? We chose, no, I don't trust him. The tempter came and he said, did God really say? And essentially his argument was, God doesn't actually want what's best for you. Do you ever feel like that? You you, you see what God commands and you think, man, I'm not sure if that's going to be best for me. Well, then you know the temptation that Adam and Eve faced and you know how they gave in. They they did not have behavior patterns that reflected God's love. Instead, they chose sin. They chose to reject God. They chose to mistrust God. God. And so you have these two families right from the very beginning. And God says these two families are going to be at enmity with each other continually. That that there's going to be a family coming from the seed of the woman and and a seed of the snake. 
These two offsprings are going to emerge. And these two, these two lines will, will, will continue down through the centuries. And we get to choose which of those families will we be in. But when he talks about it in Genesis, he talks about that seed of the woman. He says that seed of the woman is eventually going to destroy the seed of the snake. And look here uh, in... Uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, in verse 9 of our passage, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. When you enter into the family through belief in Jesus, Jesus himself comes to abide in you. Jesus lives in you by his Holy Spirit. He talked about that down in verse 24 at the end of our passage. By his Holy Spirit, he comes and lives in his people. Jesus himself living, producing his life in us. That seed that, that's been promised since Genesis, <laughs> since the beginning, that seed can live in us today and produce Jesus' life in us instead of that evil rejection of God. The, the story went on then in Genesis uh, 1 through 4. It goes on to the story of Cain, Adam and Eve's son. Uh, he, he kills his brother. That's, that's what we read about here in verse 12. Don't be like Cain, it says, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Cain said, look, I can see what family I'm resembling. I can see what family you're resembling. And there's enmity between these two families. There's fighting. We can't get along. And so Cain kills his brother. It's the opposite of love. It's taking life instead of giving life. You see what the two families look like. One family is all about love. It's all about life. The other family is all about sin. It's all about death. So which family are you part of? And which family does your behavior look like you're part of? Would you consider for a moment? Maybe the Lord would show us in our lives, areas where our behavior is not reflecting his love. Maybe there's places where we're not bearing the family image well. What's meant to happen is we're meant to embody his love in the way that we live. It's meant to find tangible expression in the way that we live and in the way that we love. Look down at verses 16 and following. Look at how practical he gets. He talks about specifically, tangible ways, what this love looks like. He says, we know love by this. He laid down his life for us. Do you see that it's not just like a feeling, it's not, just an, it's not merely an emotion. It's not merely like I have a sense that I love this person or care about this person. But it has, it has practical outworking. It's, it's a laying down of one's life for the good of somebody else. It's a laying down of the things that I want or maybe think I need to be a blessing to somebody else. That's been God's plan all throughout history has been to bless people, to be a blessing. He tells Abraham that. I want you to be blessed so that you'll be a blessing to all the nations. Blessing is meant to spread through people. So we're meant to be people who love, who bless, who give generously, who love generously towards others. It works out in practical, tangible ways. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for one another. Oh, that's very tangible and practical. And if that wasn't practical enough, he gives even more specific example. He says, but whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see how practical this is? 
Love looks like this. I have what you need. I share. That's crazy simple, isn't it? Not easy. Don't, don't get confused. <laughs> it's not easy. But that's crazy simple. We, we may think love like it's this big thing that I don't know how I could show love towards all these. It's simple. What does this person need? How can I meet their need? And here he's talking about very material things, right? Material goods. Like th- this could be like our time. Does somebody need my time? This could be our abilities. Can I bless somebody by sharing my abilities? Maybe I'm good with music. Can that be a gift to somebody? Maybe I'm good with handy stuff. Could that be a gift to somebody? What talents has God given me? What, what, what time has he given me? What finances has he given me? What material goods has he given me? How can I be a blessing to these other people? That, that's what it means tangibly to love. Love is worked out. It, it's behavior patterns that reflect God's love. It, it works out in tangible, practical, simple, clear ways. It's about laying down my life, not needing to receive, but rather being generous, ready to give. So it's quite a high calling um, <laughs> that, that this life that he calls us into, trying to belong in this family, right? Uh, it, and I just want us to notice for a minute, notice when he gave the examples of sin, there were two kinds of examples of sin that he gave. Did you notice, for, uh, first we had Cain, right? What, what was Cain's sin? Anybody remember? Okay, murder. You're with me. Excellent. Um, His sin was murder, right? That's a sin. We call those sins of commission, right? It's when we know something is bad, but we do it anyway. But that was one kind of sin. That does not reflect God's love. That's hate. But then look at this kind of sin that he's referring to here. He said, you see your brother in need, but you close your heart against him. That's a whole different kind of sin. We call those sins of omission, Right? Sins of commission is when I commit sin, when I do something that I know is wrong. But sins of omission is when I omit doing something that I should do. There's a good thing that I know to do, but I don't do it. If we know the good that we're supposed to do and we don't do it, that also is sin. Because it's not demonstrating love. Do you see how high of a calling this is? This is don't do the bad stuff and do do the good stuff. And do it all, routinely, all the time, the way God does. Bear his image, reflect him. I hope we can feel the pressure of this, the weight of this, and how essential this is for life. If we're going to build a world that's marked by God's love, that's not just constantly suffering and down and worse and worse all the time, wouldn't it be awesome if we lived in a world marked by love? Marked by people not doing the don't do stuff and do doing the do do stuff? Um, That'd be great. It, It would be awesome to live in a world filled with love. And yet, we participate in the kingdom of darkness. We show belonging to the family of the devil when we reject it. Uh, just a couple other things I'd like to point out before we move on from this part. Uh, look down at the, the end of our chapter here, down at verse 22 uh, to 24. Uh, notice, actually I'll, I'll back up for just a second into 19. Uh, he said, we'll know by this, when, when we see these good actions flowing out of us, we'll know by those actions that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. That word assure our heart, uh, there's a footnote in some copies of the New American Standard that will say it's a word that means persuade. He he says here in in verse uh, 19 that we can actually persuade our hearts. When our hearts are saying, you're failing at this. This is actually a tool we can use to to persuade our hearts. You're in the truth. Just look at your life and see those actions of love. See the places where you really chose, hey, I, I don't need to do that thing. 
that's wrong. Or I do want to do that thing that's right. He says, when you can see those, you can assure your heart. And you, you can say to my heart, look, I know you're trying to condemn me, but God knows better. I'm trusting God. I can see him working out his life in me. And this is where, look, look down to the end of the passage. It said, we know, that, at the end of verse 24, we know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Look at your life. If you see evidence of the Holy Spirit producing God's life in you, he says you can use that to overcome these, these condemnations that your heart is trying to throw at you. When you feel condemned, if you're feeling, maybe you're feeling that this morning. As we look at the, the weight of, of these kinds of sin, the, the sins of omission, the sins of commission, and we're saying, man, I can't live up to this standard. Look at your life for evidence of the Spirit alive in you. Has the Spirit made a difference in your heart? Has the Spirit made a difference in the way you treat other people? Not talking about perfection, but talking about growth, talking about an increasing practice of being sacrificial for the good of other people. If you can see that, you can persuade your heart. You can assure your heart, hey, I'm in the family. Not because of my behavior. My behavior reminds me, it shows me that I can see the outworking of what I believe. What I believe is what has me in the family. So, okay, so, so if you're feeling this kind of pressure and you're, you're trying to get some reassurance, and you're trying to walk in this new way of life, if you're trying to show that you belong to this family, if you're trying to live out this belief that you have that Jesus really is that amazing, what's the engine that drives that behavior? And that's where we come to the very start of chapter 3. I don't know if you noticed when we were looking at the passage, but starting in verse 28 of chapter 2, and down through most of chapter 3, he was on this repeated theme about abiding in God. Show that you're in this family, don't be part of this family, right? Walk with Jesus, don't be part of the family of the devil. Walk in love, not in hate. In life, not in murder, right? In righteousness, not in sin. He talks about this, this, these two families over and over and over again. But here in 3, 1 to 3, did you notice that we haven't talked about it at all, like this entire morning? Weird, Why? <laughs> Uh, I believe what's happening here is as John is writing this letter to encourage uh, these churches in, in Asia Minor, he's just overwhelmed all of a sudden by God. And you see him break out in this, it's almost a, like a song in, in these first three verses of chapter three. In, in three, one to three, he's just amazed, he's smitten with God. The, the engine that's driving all this it is, he doesn't tell us explicitly, but it, it's revealed by the way he writes this letter. Look at how he just breaks out in chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. Do you see his amazement when he looks at God? What drives this behavior, what refreshes our belief over and over and over again is when we look at God and we say, Wow. That, that, that first word, that word that opens it, that word see, in, in some other translations it will say behold, right? Often older translations. It's this idea of like what's captivating my imagination, my heart, my mind. What am I just enthralled with? What am I amazed by? Think about just where you spend your time. Maybe think, think about the last three or four days. When you don't have anything else to do, where does your mind go, Right? Whatever that is, that's probably got something to do with what you're beholding, what, what has your uh, imagination captivated, where, where your thoughts are going, where your heart 
is going. What, what John says is that if, if you want to have an engine driving all this, you've got to see, you've got to behold how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. And, and even that uh, how great a love is, uh, they're trying to express something in English that is just hard to capture from the original language, from the Greek. Uh, in in some, some of the footnotes will say, uh, see what kind of love the Father has bestowed on us, which is getting close, right? Like, what kind of love is this? That he would make us rebels, people who are fighting against him and shoving him off at every turn, that he would make us his children. What kind of love is that? It's actually even, uh, the word, it doesn't mean kind doesn't even quite get to it. It's actually a word that means country. It's what country is this love from? The, the way we might say it today is what planet did this kind of love come from? What, in what universe would the God of everything who we rebelled against for millennia send his only son to die for us? Behold him. See, when that's what captivates your heart, that's the engine that will drive all the rest of this stuff, the rest of this family resemblance. It's when we behold God, when we really look at him, and are just in awe of him, when we're amazed by him, that's what begins to change us. Look, he, he, he goes on, he, he describes it here. He says, beloved, this is in verse 2, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see what John is saying? He's saying the, the, the harder we look at God himself, the harder we look at his love displayed in sending his son for us, the more we look at that, the, the more we behold God in, his, in all of his goodness and love, that's what will shape our hearts to behave like him. That's what will hold us firm in believing in him. See, this is what the, the, the people who had left the church, this is what they were denying. They were saying, no, Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Or they were saying, no, Jesus wasn't actually fully God. Or saying, no, we don't really have to have these certain kind of behaviors that mark us belonging to the family. John says, no, you, you can tell that's outside the family. You can tell you belong to the family because you believe that Jesus really did come. Fully God became fully human and died in our place. And, and, and as you believe in him, he shapes your heart to live in a new way. And just behold that. Sit in wonder at God's incredible goodness. And that will shape your life to look more and more like him, to bear the family resemblance. Maybe I'll close this way. Um, A couple things, I guess. So, first, would you just flip down to the end of the, the letter, the end of 1 John? Look at the end of chapter 5. Uh, you, you see that he does this same thing again at the end of chapter 5, verse, 5 verse 21. Uh, down at the end of the letter, he has another one of these that it seems like it comes out of nowhere. He, he closes the letter this way. He says, little children, guard yourselves from idols. It seems to come out of no place. But if you've been tracking with this theme of beholding God, do you see what he's doing here? He's saying anything that wants to captivate your heart and mind, to captivate your imagination, besides Jesus, guard yourself. 
Can we think this morning of things that are competing for our attention? Things that we know get our eyes off of him. Guard yourself. Maybe you want to write down right now one or two of those things. That you say, I want to guard myself from this idol. There is something that captivates my heart and mind, that wants to grab my attention, that wants to take up my time, that really isn't leading me towards greater love for him and other people. And bring that before him this week. And say, God, help me to treasure you, to behold you way more than I'm interested in this other pursuit, whatever this thing may be. What is this idol that I need to guard against. Because whatever you're looking at, whatever has your attention, whatever has your time, is what's going to transform the kind of person that you are. Whatever you behold, you'll become, you'll behave more and more like whatever you behold. So, and, and then maybe on the positive side, what are some ways we can uh, positively, what can, how can we behold him? Let me suggest three ways. Uh, one, if you want to behold God, start with his word. God's word is a powerful way for us to understand who he is. It's a unified story that all tells the story of Jesus all together. It's incredible. You guys have been walking through uh, one of uh, the books of Samuel, 1 Samuel, um, and, and he's talking there about David, who is a great picture many times of what Jesus is. And when he fails, he's a picture of how we repent and turn back to Jesus, right? It, it, all The whole Bible is telling this story of God's love for his people, his love for you and how he wants you in. So, so get into his word. Look for, what is this telling me about God himself? How can I behold the beauty of God? What is this telling me about God's love, about his plan to send his son for me? Dig into the word and behold your God. A second way I might suggest that you could behold God is through prayer. Talk to him. Ask him. You know, John, in this, in this epistle here, in, in chapter 3, he said that uh, in verse 22, whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight, right? We can ask him for sight. If we want to be a blessing to people, we can say, God, please help me to be a blessing to these people. And he wants to empower us. He wants to give us the time and energy and finances that we need to be that blessing to other people. Not always the way we think, <laughs> uh, but, but gives us what he wants us to have to be a blessing to others. If you're not trained in prayer very much, you might consider just using the Psalms as a starter to learn how to pray. Uh, the, the, the Psalms will talk through all kinds of, you'll get to see kind of how any emotional language apparently is safe <laughs> with God. Uh, he, the psalmist will say some things that are just utterly shocking sometimes. Um, so that, that can be a great way to learn how to pray. Just, just use, use a Psalm each day. And meditate on that Psalm and use that as a way to pray. Uh, like, for instance, a famous one, Psalm 23, right? It starts off, the Lord is my shepherd. And so I can just pause and think, like, who are the people who shepherd me? That, that God uses as my shepherd. He uses these people to shepherd me. My pastor, my elders, my small group leader, somebody else, else who leads me in life. And just pray for them. Lord, please shepherd them and use them to shepherd me. And, and thank you for the way that they shepherd me. Please, please protect their family. Guard over them. Watch over them the way a shepherd would look over their flock. And help them to shepherd well in our church family or in this sphere of our community. Or You, you see how you can use the, the psalm, right, to, to train you in prayer. Uh, or you could use almost any of Paul's letters. They often start off with prayers. So if you're, if you're not familiar with how to pray or you're not comfortable with how to pray, it's not about fancy words or anything like that. But you could use psalms or you could use some of the Apostle Paul's letters, the kind of the, the opening parts there uh, will help you train in prayer. But that's a great way to behold God. Just have conversation with him. 
And the third way I would suggest, spend time with the family. Spend time with the family, be, the, 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 the Christian family, the community of faith. Right? The, the, be with your fellow believers who are seeking to bear the family resemblance too. It doesn't mean that we want to leave the world behind. We're not trying to like avoid the world. The, they, they need the salt, right? Salt only works by being spread into uh, whatever you're trying to salt. Um, so the, the salt of Christians has to be spread into the world. But, but when we're trying to do this kind of engine, this drive, what's going to drive us? Spend time together. Gather together on Sundays. Gather together throughout the week. Meet for coffee. Meet for dinner. Spend time just loving each other. The more we can practically love each other, we saw here very practical, simple ways to love each other, the more we can behold God. So I think we can behold him through his word, we can behold him through prayer, and we can behold him through the family, through one another. Um, And maybe if I can just throw in one bonus one. Talk about him. When you talk about God to other people, it's amazing how much more you, you begin to treasure him. When, when you share with others, hey, this is what God's done for me, just share your gratitude. All right, with that, let me close this in a word of prayer, please. Father, your goodness is beyond our capacity to understand. You are so rich in kindness and love and generosity that you would send your son for us your enemies. It's unbelievable. Help us believe that you really did love us that much. You didn't want to kick us out of the family. You didn't want to say, you can't belong. You broke the rules too many times. You failed to keep, uh, to do the right thing too many times. You're not looking to exclude us. You're looking to welcome us in. You sent your son to take on the cost of our sin. Lord, will you help us to trust in your love for us, to believe that you genuinely want what's good for us and you genuinely know what's best for us, and then to behave like we really do believe you, that, that, that it's, not just a, it's not just lip service, but that our lives reflect that we genuinely trust that you know what's best and it really is good even when it doesn't make sense to us. And will you train us to behold you, to look at you over and over and over and over and over again, day in and day out, that our lives would be changed by gazing at you pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks. Thanks so much, Dan. That was great.